Hi, this is Dr. Scott Sigmund. This is my Platinum Hour. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. Is that like, so we're we're live. live. Is Is that that like all you've been doing doing with the last six days? days, Just like like combing the fro? fro? (laughs) There's certainly been a lot more time for that, unfortunately. But we've been getting some work done, too. Are you, are you able, able to be productive, productive from your house? house? I mean, you and, you and I are, are very similar in being like very type A, like hands on, let's go. go. Are, are, are you, you right, right now, are you finding that your mania is really picking up? up? It's been surprising. I've actually had more to do than I thought I would. Uh, you know, I'm still going to the office on Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. Um, not seeing a tremendous number of patients. So we're open for business. I don't know if you want to do a little intros. Everybody know who I am. How do you want to start this whole thing? I'm going to go. It's so, so different, different, man, and not we're not in the studio. studio. It's weird, weird. but yes, yes. you want to give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure, man. Um, so this is my second time on Boston's number one podcast. Thank you, brother. You are the man. Um, Dr. Scott Sigmund, I like to describe myself as the original opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon, healer of knees and shoulders, left and right, social media influencer, hashtag follow the fro. Hashtag Tylenol sponsored. sponsored. Yes, yes, sir, baby boy. boy. No, nope, not today, brother. I wish I could get it for you. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So the question is, are we open for business? So, yeah, my orthopedic practice is open for business. We are seeing urgent patients only. We're trying to minimize exposure to patients and staff. But, you know, the hospitals are really worried about all the stuff that's happening with COVID. So they're asking, uh, you know, orthopedic offices and some of the specialty offices to remain open to try and, you know, limit the need for patients to go to the emergency department for, for, you know, routine broken stuff or, you know, cuts and lacerations and and things like that. So we are still open and, and we feel like it's the right thing to do, but we're really, we've closed down, you know, half of our waiting room, we put the chairs out like at least 12 feet apart. We're only bringing in maybe three patients an hour. So there's not a lot of interaction. You're sort of in, you're out uh, is our philosophy. We're doing the best we can to still care for patients. And then we're doing a lot of telemedicine now, which is really cool. I'm not sure if you heard about this, but uh, the governor and then also the federal government has now waived a lot of the HIPAA rules uh, so that we can communicate to patients. And then we can also uh, you know, be able to bill for this so that we can still continue to see patients minimizing their risk. So it's actually a win-win for everybody. The patients are still getting seen. We're able to see and talk to patients and be able to keep things moving. Uh, but the one thing we're definitely not doing is elective surgery. We've been shut down. So, uh, you know, and does, does that, that apply? So, so for, for anybody who listens to this, this or watches this, this Dr. Sigmund also has his own business called OrthoLaser, which is like an opioid sparing treatment center. Are all those shut down right now too? So we're leaving that to the discretion of the individual centers. We have five that are open across the country at this point. Uh, Where I am in particular, you know, we're pretty much on lockdown. None of the doctor's offices are really seeing patients. I'm not in there seeing a lot of patients. And so we furloughed uh, the majority of our employees, unfortunately, on Friday. Uh, my office manager, Aaron, is still on staff and available. So depending... That, that, that's, that's a big, big word. Sorry, can we rewind? What does furloughed mean? Okay, so good. So furloughed means a, a temporary unemployment with the, stand, with, the, with the idea being that you're going to bring your employees back. And the temporary furlough that's been established here in the Commonwealth uh, allows us to do four-week increments. So we have basically told our, our employees... To, to apply for unemployment, 
with the anticipation that you are going to be rehired within the four-week window. At any point during that four-week window, if this whole thing just mysteriously goes away, then they can be rehired and they come back to work and we can start seeing patients. Right now, you know, we were spacing patients out at ortholaser quite well too. We were disinfecting, we were doing, you know, applying all the appropriate rules. We were screening patients, but the number of patients that are available for this treatment right now is so small that it wasn't worth staying open. Now, again, if it turns out that we don't go into a shelter in place mode here in Massachusetts or across the country and the virus isn't so bad where we are, then we'll, we'll reopen and get people back in and start healing. And I'll be honest with you, there's going to be a huge need for ortho laser. I mean, let's be, let me be perfectly clear. Elective surgery is probably, so what is elective surgery? Let's talk about that, right? So well, well, real, real quick, quick before, before we get into elective, elective surgery, surgery, what is the, the benefits of furloughing your employees as opposed to just saying, hey, I'm just, just going to give you like a two, a two, three week unpaid leave. So I you get some sort of tax credit or something? No, no, it's not. So... It's very technical, and, and I, I want to stay in my lane, uh, but I have been talking to my healthcare attorney and making all decisions with appropriate labor attorney to make sure that I'm doing what's best for our employees, but then also trying to explain to them what these things are. So a layoff, okay, a layoff is a permanent event. So when you bring somebody to the office and you say, we're going to lay you off at this point, the, the employee gets paid their, all their sick time, personal, and vacation time. And then they're free to go. And yeah, we're, we're buying, buying you out, man. Get, get out, out of here. Done. So go get another job, apply for unemployment, do whatever it is that you want to do. But that job is not available right now. And, and don't, don't come, come back. back. <laughs> That's a, those are your words, brother, not mine. So, so because we do want our employees back, we are, we are furloughing them, which implies a temporary event. Uh, you can go for four weeks, and then you can go for another four weeks, and then it can be, you know, uh, decided from there. We wanted to be able to provide direction to our employees. We wanted to be able to say to them, look, you know, we appreciate all you're doing here. We don't have business to pay you at this point right now. Get on to unemployment. Check the right box or the right things on page 29 and page 32 of your unemployment application to make sure that you are, uh, and it says it right there. There's a big arrow that points to where you're supposed to go to if you're doing a furlough or a temporary uh, position. And then we're going to call you as soon as we can to get you back. And I think people were appreciative. They wanted to know that there was a plan. They were going to have some income. There's a lot of things coming down the pipeline from the federal government that we don't know about yet. That's going to help small businesses and help individual uh, people that are out of their jobs. And right now you just do the best you can hunker down and, you know, and, and just, uh, and provide direction. That's what I wanted as an employee. I wanted to be able to provide some specific direction to our pay, our, our employees. So they knew what, what their options were. When, when you, you had first gotten, gotten the news that, that everything was shutting down, down what was your initial reaction? Uh, surreal, unbelievable. What's going on? I mean, literally, you know, two weeks ago, you know, it was like whatever you want to do, right? I mean, maybe two and a half weeks ago, you're thinking about this, you're thinking about a business move, or we're going to open up lasers here, we're going to open up lasers over there. And now all of a sudden, I'm shutting down a laser, you know, and it's like, it just, it's just, it just doesn't seem real is the best way to, to, to describe it. It's amazing how something so dramatic can happen to our lives in such a fast fashion. No, no what's so weird is that, that as capitalists, you, you, you kind of take the game for granted. And then, and then when something, something like this happens, you're like, oh my God, dude, I, for, I realize how much like I love growing and building my own thing and it can just be ripped from me at any moment. It's totally out of my control. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I hate to get all like spirited and all that stuff, but dude, like we're Americans. And, and when this shit happens, 
we rally and it's like, what happens? Okay. We need ventilators. Okay. Well, well, GM is saying, fine. Okay. We're going to start building ventilators. You've got, you know, distilleries for whiskey. Okay. Who are saying that the Purell. Yeah. yeah, They're making Purell. They're making, I mean, so it's like, look, this has to pass. I mean, that's the only way I can live my life. Right. I mean, you know, I wake up, I don't get hung up on all the other stuff that I didn't do yesterday. I'm like, okay, what's our solution for today? Don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. So how are we going to get through this? What are we going to do? So you asked me earlier, I mean, am I keeping myself busy? Yeah. I mean, I've been asked to do uh, 10 webinars in the last, probably in the last four days, I got 10 gigs to be able to get online and be able to educate doctors on a lot of the cool stuff that we're doing. So yeah, that's great. I'm also been asked to now write a white paper for ortho laser. We're going to put together a webinar there. We're doing strategy for marketing. So my day is more busy than I would have anticipated. Obviously, I'd like I'd love to get back, you know, operating on patients, which I don't think is going to happen for a long time, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, people, people seem, seem to adapt it pretty quick. quick. So, so, in terms, terms of, of let's dip into elective, elective surgery just a little bit. bit. Um, it, it's, it's like, like a, a a federal, federal wide, wide mandate, mandate right now. now. It's, it's not, not set in stone, stone, but they're, they're saying, like, dude, dude anything that's elective medically, you got to stop because we're totally worried about our healthcare system being overrun. How would the elective surgery, like, be a detriment to you and your business if you're not going to actually be operating on COVID patients? Uh, so, first and foremost, the American College of Surgeons and the Surgeon General of the United States have really given a very specific you know, position that elective surgery should be stopped. Let's talk about what elective surgery is so the audience understands it. So urgent and emergent surgery basically that's happening right now is cancer-related surgery or life-threatening surgery. So, uh, and there's a lot, there is some grays in there. It's not, you know, the, the blacks and the whites are pretty obvious, right? We're not going to do carpal tunnel surgery. We're not going to do you know, uh, breast augmentation right now for an otherwise healthy individual. A now, labrum tear like, like mine, would that, that be elective? elective? Totally elective, not happening. My 17-year-old son was scheduled for an ACL surgery this past Friday. Not happening and not happening anytime soon. You can't justify. Uh, and here's the reason why, okay? Uh, the reason why is the supply chain is really limited at this point. So all of the masks, the gloves, and the gowns that we want to be able to utilize for elective surgery need to be funneled to the emergency room and the ICUs at this point. And, and the first responders, the people that are online doing the testing, that's who needs these gowns and gloves. We don't to do elective surgery. It's not life-threatening for, for, for us. So we need to chill, step back. But it's like, this is like the George Orwellian theory of life, you know, when it comes to surgeons in the same way. All doctors are created equal, but some doctors think that they're more equal than others. So there are still facilities despite you know, these recommendations that are doing elective surgery across the country. It's ridiculous. I mean, I don't know how they sleep at night. They're for personal financial gains, what's happening? These hospitals are staying open to do elective surgery because they need to make money and they don't really care. And, and then doctors are doing the same thing. I just don't know how these doctors and hospital administrators can sleep at night knowing that they're, they're staying open and there's doctors and nurses at Brigham and Women's Hospital and the major hospitals down in Boston who are literally pleading for for people out on the street to bring in their gloves and their masks so we can use them to treat for our patients. It just is really upsetting. So, so two things. things. So, so you shutting, shutting down your facility is a, a more of a precautionary measure in case, uh, uh, let's, let's say like Lowell, Lowell General or Mass General says, dude, like we need your equipment. We can't have you use it right now. 
So in, in, the, in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, the, the Governor Baker and, and uh, Secretary of Health and Services uh, uh, Sutters have basically through the healthcare commission shut down elective surgery. So if you, if you have a licensed surgery center or hospital in the state of Massachusetts, you cannot do elective surgery. It's not allowed. That, that sucks. sucks. Yeah. So, and the problem is, let me tell you where the problem is, is that it's not going to be fixed anytime soon. Okay. Let's say four weeks from now, the green flag goes up and everybody's like, okay, this, this is passed. You know, we're going to open up our Starbucks again and we're going to start doing some elective surgery. It's not going to happen. Like, you know, I have, you know, I have 80 patients that are, are going to be on the backlog for surgery. You know, I am not on a good week. I can do 15. So you start doing the math and then I've got the patients that are already scheduled. So and, and then, then people, people who are getting, getting re-injured, re-injured. And you need emergency surgery. So it just, it, it, the, the, the normalcy of the pace of elective surgery, in my eyes, may take till the end of the year before we truly catch up. And so, you know, uh, I'm sorry, man. it sucks. I mean, it sucks. I mean, it's just one of those things that people are going to have. And then let's say this, you know. So let's go back to ortholaser. This is why I think it's like the perfect storm for ortholaser. We're, we're really excited at, the, at our um, corporate level to be able to expand so we can help people in particular uh, is, you know, like let, let's say, you know, you work for a construction company, right? And you've been out of work for now eight weeks, whatever it is. And you know, you've got a rotator cuff tear and you were scheduled for surgery. The last thing you're going to do is jump in and have surgery. You're going to get your ass back to work, get a paycheck and start, you know, paying for stuff. So, so patients are going to be looking for alternative treatments. There's going to be a backlog of surgery anyway. I mean, the total knee replacements, it's going to take forever to get all those patients back into the queue and taken care of. So we're really hoping that we're going to be able to, you know, really offer an alternative treatment option for those patients to be able to seek out ortholaser to be able to have care. You can still have a, a, you know, a partially torn rotator cuff as an electrician, you can get lasered and feel better and then push the surgery out until the time is right for you. Um, so we're looking good there. And, you know, you know, I don't want to seem so crass, but, you know, orthopedic surgeons, the majority of your, your income comes from surgical intervention. I mean, it just does. I mean, elaborate. elaborate. What, what do you mean? mean? So probably 60% of, of a busy orthopedic surgeon's revenue comes from elective surgery. So you see patients, you're helping them. You know, you may do surgery, may not. You're doing injections and therapy and other stuff. But at the end of the day, you're a surgeon. Surgery is the moneymaker, man. That's it. So there's going to be a significant down, you know, there's going to be a reduction in revenue for orthopedic surgeons because of this, this crisis, for sure. Now, see, what's been interesting to me is that we're so programmed in our society to to go and achieve and go, go, go. So I, un- I understand why it's selfish for other hospitals not to shut down, but it's just, it's such a, it, it was so sudden that it's tough to just change somebody's mindset just like that, you know? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I get it. You and I are on Zoom at the cribs. I get it. No, we're healthcare providers. That's for, you know, you're supposed to be able to, to look beyond and make, you know, make sure you take care of patients. I want to go back. I mean, I want to make sure that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, yeah, okay, I'm going to make less money, but that's not what this is about right now. Right now, it's about caring for our patients and figuring out a way once this thing ends, or even while it's happening, being able to care for as many patients as we can, keeping them away from the hospitals. That's why we're staying open. 
to be able to see the urgent uh, people and, 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 and sort of back and remove the backlog from the, from the emergency rooms and the hospitals. And then once this cat clears and passes, we need to come up with a pathway. And I'm like, you know, I'd go to work, dude. I'd, I'd operate seven days a week. I'll just do that. I mean, for three weeks, if you open up the You're machine, machine, I'll do it. Man. I am, I'm an orthopedic machine. No, seriously, I, I would do that for seven days. I would, you know, crank it out for three weeks. The problem's going to be, I'm going to tell you right now, they're not going to have the materials. They're going to say to me, you can do three or four cases because we just don't have the stock for all the stuff that we need to do. Now, now was this, this something that, that before this had happened so suddenly, were you aware of that in America, we just did not have the medical supplies we needed to handle something like this? Uh, yeah, I have no idea. I mean, did I know anything about the Defense Protection Act, which, you know, they have these 12 centers across, across the country that house all of this stuff, you know, the sterile stuff, the masks, the ventilators, it's all sitting there and it's all there for this national emergency. And the thought process before wasn't going to be biologic. Everybody thought it was just going to be wartime, you know, whatever it is. It turns out it is a war, but it's a biological war. And so it's invisible it's, enemy. And, you know, I, I would lay fault with the federal government. I'm like, what the hell, guys? Why are you not releasing this stuff? You're seeing it. You're hearing about it. And let's get this stuff out. You have what, what, what are you saving it for? You know, but it's classic government bureaucracy. It was a slow process. You know, Trump says, well, we've enacted it, but we're not going to release it. You know, every day, right? It seems like it's like a 12-hour cycle where something changes dramatically from what it was before, right? You know, it, your liberties are reduced every 12 hours. It's, it's just, it's like, like a, a, I mean, I don't, I don't know, know if you've, you've been, been stuck in the house just like switching between all the news channels because that's like the only content that's being rejuvenated on TV. But like, it's just like this massive just show of what's going on. Yeah, no, they, and they're making it, they make it a lot worse too. And the bottom line is a lot of people just don't know. I mean, that's the problem. There's so much misinformation out there. I mean, we don't know a lot about the virus. I mean, they're working overtime on it. They're working on treatments. They're working on vaccines. You know, there's one, there's one study that, um, that really gives me hope. Um, and it's a University of Maryland virology study out of uh, Professor Gallo, who's the guy that sort of basically, you know, figured out HIV and, uh, they looked at the geographic positioning of the hot zones around the world and um, for, for the, the virus. virus for the virus. So Wuhan, you know, Seattle, Wuhan, Wuhan. you're the first, first time I've ever heard say it like that. that. Whatever. Wuhan, Wuhan, Wuhan. It's all good. Uh, <laughs> and so Seattle, New York city, you're like one of my kids. You're making fun of me for talking. I love it. Wuhan. Uh, so, you know, New York. And then you go, you know, Spain, Italy, um, uh, Iran, you know, they sort of fall within this geographic pattern that has very similar temperature and humidities and a very narrow band north to south. So these vir virologists in their study, believe me, I'm staying in my lane. I don't know. I don't know this stuff, but they're saying that it's not it's not by accident that there are really hot zones. Like, why is it in northern Italy? You know, they're dying by hundreds a day, but in southern Italy, they're, they're OK. I mean, <clears throat> so there's something about that. And so. It gives me hope. I'm hoping that, you know, I feel terrible for everybody in New York. I think it's going to be bad in New York, but you know, it may not be so bad here. We don't know. I mean, you got to play by the rules and we are, I mean, we're, we're doing all the right things. And my family personally practices, you know, personal distance and social distancing and all that. We're not running around having parties and doing all that crazy stuff. I mean, you tell me, what do you think of the, the spring breakers? Are you pissed? Are you are knuckleheads? Well, what are they doing? Well, well so, so you're, you're saying, saying you and Sandra, Sandra just haven't made out in like two weeks. weeks. 
Yeah, dude, they're going to be like, do you know how many babies are going to be born in like nine months? Oh, it's going to be absurd. <laughs> the, other, the other thing I heard, which was kind of funny, is that the divorce rate in China is like 75% right now. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody stayed home together for six weeks and there's now all these divorces. So hopefully that's not the case here. So, so if, again, again I, I feel like, like it's, it's so... Interesting. I feel like we're just like waiting for something worse to happen. And and you can kind of see the cases in New York just go like this. So I had these research scientists, we ran a Skype interview like two days ago. And they were like, yeah, in terms of the parabola, the curve, we're probably at 10% of the first half, like given their model. And so if the healthcare system was to get wildly overrun, you're obviously not an expert in virology, but would they by chance say, hey, Scott, like we need more doctors. Can you come to the hospital and help us? Yeah, I mean, the, so the governor just passed some regulations that allow doctors that are either in retirement or have medical licenses in other states that they can come in and practice. So, you know, there's not a lot of, of reports, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, you know, Maine's actually sending stuff down into Boston. Again, talking about geography, and I'd really love, you know, you think of viruses, and most of the time people tell you that, that, that temperature and humidity and all that stuff doesn't matter. Uh, you know, the reason you get more, more influenza in the wintertime is because we're in the room together, and we spread the virus around each other. But they say, you know, if you're down warm, it's not, it, it doesn't help you, and if you're too north, it doesn't make a difference. But that may, that may not be the case for this virus in particular. First of all, it's a new virus. It's novel. It comes from an animal which we haven't you know, haven't had before, so we truly don't know how it's going to behave. But it's really possible that, you know, that, we're going to, that, that it may not be so bad in certain areas and really bad in other areas. And so we may have to shift around, we may have to move and do stuff to sort of accommodate that. And if it meant me coming in, you know, there's, there's a meme of, of uh, oh God, what's his name? I can't remember. Um, but it's a famous actor and he's got his scrubs on and the meme is, it's like, it's Jack Nicholson. He's like, if, if you don't want an orthopedic surgeon to take care of your, of your virus, stay home. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> so, so it might be likely. likely. It could be. It could definitely be. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, I'm, we're, I, every day I keep waiting to hear, like, who's the sick person that I know? And I can honestly say I don't know a person that has COVID-19. Let's well, knock on wood that it stays, stays like that. that. I mean, are, are you, you in Middlesex, Middlesex County, County, technically? Yeah, we are. Right? No, we're, yeah, no, I live in North Andover. So is that oh, Essex? No, I'm in Essex. Well, Middlesex <laughs> County has like 140 cases. Yeah. And I mean, who knows how it will spread out here? Yeah, we don't know. So the, the bottom line is you hunker down for now, you know, and, and those numbers and the, vir the virologist researchers that you were talking to yesterday, as far as that curve, it may be that New York is that curve, but it may be that Boston isn't. Um, so who knows? I know. Again, it's just all grain of salt. Nobody can really pinpoint this stuff. Yeah, we don't know. Can you elaborate on what an N95 mask is? Because that's like, I got no clue. It means that 95% of the shit that's out there in the air doesn't get through the mask. And do you use one of those for your normal surgeries? Uh, no, we use just general surgical masks. So when you go around... Boring. Yeah, well, well, dude, we're like, what I'm trying... When you wear a surgical mask... It's, it's, it's two things. Number one, you, you certainly don't want to get blood in your face, right? But number two is you're not spewing all of the stuff in your mouth onto the patient. And so 
So when you go to the grocery store, okay, and you see somebody wearing a mask, so the only reason somebody in public should be wearing a mask is if they're already sick. And by definition, if you're already sick, you should be staying at home anyway. Dude, because everyone is wearing masks now. It, it's, it's been a slow growth. It's, it's ridiculous. Absurd. They don't even wear them right. The things are pushing out on the side. They got a thing up here. You know, air can get in from the sides. I mean, the whole idea of an N95 is it completely surrounds the zone. It's got a filter inside, which then blocks 95% of viral particles and other, other stuff, toxic stuff from coming in. So you literally, when you're wearing a mask and walking around in the street, what you're doing is helping other people next to you because you're not sending stuff out to them. But it's not protecting you. Dude, at, stop, wear, at Stop and Shop, yeah. have you, you ever seen, seen Silver, Silver Linings Playbook? playbook? Yeah. Like there was someone who looked like Bradley Cooper with all like the trash bags around their body. I'm like, what is that doing for you, man? You know, and then they, they wear gloves on and then they scratch, they they grab the fruit and then they scratch their forehead. I'm like, dudes, what are you doing? This is, this makes no sense. So grab your food, go home and wash your hands, wash your fruit and vegetables, minimize your contact as much as you can to, to, to metal and things in which around you. But just don't be picking up avocados and feeling them all and throwing them back in there again. That's not helping anybody. So has your, uh, how you've been disinfecting your practice, has your policy changed at all? Are you like heavier on disinfecting now or? So we have every patient that comes in has to wash their hands. We watch them do that. They should have been doing that before, nasty. Yeah, but whatever. You're right, but it is what it is. So. We have spaced out our waiting room chairs, so everything's at minimum six feet apart, so nobody's too close to each other. And then we basically do disinfectant of all of the patient exam rooms, knobs and doors and all of that stuff on a daily basis to try and help to minimize it. You know, I want to be clear, we're a doctor's office, and we're, we're trying to stay open to be able to help society by minimizing having to have patients for musculoskeletal problems go to the emergency room. So it's an outlet. So it's a good thing that we are staying open. We just, we, we want to minimize contact. I mean, we're, you know, we've had, we're, we're still paying our staff and, you know, half, we, we basically only have the staff that's there that's needed to try and minimize exposure to our staff as well. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not easy for, for any of us, for sure. So we're hoping to get some relief too. There's some, some rumors about small business loans that may be coming out as part of the package. You know, we're trying to figure out if there's ways that we can help our employees to be able to continue. Who knows? I mean, we just, it's like, like we said, daily, every day, new information's coming down the pipeline that's helping us to try and decide what we do. You know, it's the first time, again, I was really young for 9-11, so I, I didn't really experience it. I was like four or five years old, but it's like everyone in the world is affected by this or in connected to it, you know? Yeah, no, hundred percent. And it's, it's, Businesses all around, all it doesn't matter what business you're in, unless you're you you know you're working at Walmart or a grocery store, you know for the most part you're severely affected. I mean these restaurants, I mean it's it, it's going to be devastating for them. I mean how they you know they're they're not some of them are just not coming back. I mean, is Sandra's business doing okay? So that's a great question. So my wife owns a a, a floral shop called Le Fleur and plug. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's a it's a boutique floral shop and it has like french is it french fusion 
simplistic French fusion. French themed. It's French themed. So, you know, she's got a tremendous amount of French stuff. She goes to France four or five times a year, brings that stuff back. She does weddings and events. So obviously all of the weddings and events are all off and canceled. And, uh, but she tells you, she actually did a really good Instagram story yesterday and people still are looking for, you know, ways to smile and be happy and flowers in that regard do. So she goes in and she's doing like seven or eight orders a day. The problem is flowers are getting on airplanes and airplanes are getting shut down. So the flowers can't be sent in from South America or from, uh, from the Netherlands, which is where most of them are grown. grown. So she's got a limited supply of flowers. There are some. And she's, she's closed the store down for traffic, but you can phone in or do computer orders for flowers. And they'll, they'll either do delivery, they're doing free delivery, or you can do curbside delivery. So it was really cute. She, did, she had like five orders of curbside delivery that came in yesterday, and she took a picture of each person and told a little bit of the story about why they wanted their flowers. And there were some good stories. It was like, my mother's in Saugus, and she, you know, she can't get out of the house, and she, you know, she's like 80 years old. So yeah, we'll deliver some flowers down to Saugus for your, for your mom, you know, it's stuff like that. And it's the best you can do in this environment. And so she's staying open bare bones. You know, she had to furlough employees as well in the hopes that they're going to come back. And that's the story. I mean, that's everybody, you know, the number of unemployment is just skyrocketing through the roof at, at this point. People just trying to do the best they can to pay their bills. Yeah, that is tough. And I'm thinking about, because you haven't been to our new spot yet where we ran the podcast with Sandra, but it's in the back of an event space. And like the lady who owns the space is like, I got to shut down like 18 events. Yeah. I mean, events are done. Nobody's doing events. I mean, so we had our national Academy meeting, which was supposed to be in Orlando this past shut down. Uh, we, every meeting going forwards is now shut down. I think, so I guess the good news is I've got 17 year old twins who are juniors in high school. Uh, and they've been studying their asses off for the ACT. And uh, there's a lot of rumors circulating at this point that most colleges for 2021 applications are going to make testing optional. Because wow. they can't get to they got tests. lucky. So, yeah, right? I know. My, my, my boy's like, Dad, do you think that's really going to happen? I'm like, I hope. It'd be good are, they, are they trying to go to the same school? No, they're twins, but they're completely different. So they'll uh, we'll probably go to different places. Although... With testing optional, it changes the whole paradigm for everybody, you know, as far as, so there, you know, there's been a push to actually, a lot of people wanted to try and get rid of the ACT and SAT anyway. And many schools were already going, you know, testing optional before this event. So this could be the killer for uh, ACT and SATs. We'll see. But right now the April test got canceled. The June test is on. That ain't going to happen. There's no way. M- MCAS got canceled. Yeah. I mean, it just, it, so the kids are just, and I'm like, I'm yelling at my kids. I'm like, dudes, all right this ain't no vacation. You know, you got to use the brain, you know, what are you going to do today? You got to wake up at nine, work out, do some homework, you know, do some stuff, but you can't just sit around waking up at 1130. I mean, like, you know, it's like life does go on. We're going to figure this out. You guys should just start a fight club in the house. (laughs) (laughs) We, uh, oh, we watched Ip Man 2 last night. You ever see that movie? No. How is it? It's awesome. It's a fight. It's like a, it's like a, uh, Chinese kung fu movie that's sort of like based on like a Rocky theme. It's it's really cool. So Ip Man One and Ip Man Two are two great movies to watch tonight if you want. It's the little things that are getting everyone through the day, man. Like yeah, I made some, I made some homemade guacamole yesterday. I'm still pumped about it. <laughs> it's like my kids literally like I'm like all right, no more ordering in. We're done with that, and we're like making 
we're making meals together and we're actually cleaning stuff together, you know? We're oh. Like, doing this as a team, you know? Um, real, I'm going to have, I'm going to call Sarah in a, in like two minutes because she's got a couple questions. Yeah. But, uh, so on a, a treatment tip, you're the big opioid sparing doctor. That's your thing, right? Yeah. yeah. What type of treatment would you provide for someone with badly damaged lungs from pneumonia and knots and for pain relief? Would they normally prescribe an, like an Oxy or a Vicodin for something like that? So, you know, I, again, I want to stay in my lane, but you know, when, when you get to sort of a near death type thing, when you use narcotics in that situation, believe it or not, it helps to improve respiration. So um, when you're, when you have uh, patients that are home on hospice, for example, they'll, they'll gradually increase the amount of narcotic because it does sort of slow down the pace and allows them to breathe somewhat better. So the rules are all changed, you know, in a situation like this. So again, I am not an ICU doc. I'm not a specialist in that area and I don't want to sort of get outside of my lane, but there are a bunch of, you know, experimental treatments that are happening now where the treatment before it gets to that, you know, for sure. Um, I'm sure everybody's heard about, you know, hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine, which is used for malaria. There's been some promising uh, use of that potentially. Again, the nice thing about that medication is that it is FDA approved for another indication so they can be used relatively quickly if they can show studies. You know, I was like, I don't know if you saw Anthony Fauci, who's like, Oh yeah, that guy's been, that guy's been all over the place. It's awesome. He really, he's like literally like the world's greatest infectious disease specialist. And you just, did you see him with his, his hand in his head like this when Trump was talking the other day? I mean, like, you know, Trump is out there doing his typical Trump stuff and touting all this craziness with no backing and no science or no proof, but he just says whatever he wants to say. And Fauci's, I think you're a terrible reporter. <laughs> and Fauci's like, oh God, what's he saying now? But he does the best he can to be able to provide, you know, the information that's out there. So without being disrespectful to the president too. Right, a good right. job at, uh, because he knows he's got the platform he's up there you know if he can just sort of push trump to the side and then really get the true message out then it will happen so he's been great about that uh but you know the studies need to be done we need to be able to to trial these things to get more information there's a another medication called remdesivir which sort of attacks the the virus protein it was originally put out for ebola didn't work well for ebola but there's some promising stuff there there's really no, unfortunately, there's no evidence of anything really working prophylactically at this point, you know, so don't go What does that mean, prophylactic? So that means like, let's take this medication to prevent getting COVID. So, uh, you know, there, there is no proof of anything at this point. Some people are saying that chloroquine will do that, but again, there's no proof of that. So there's don't things that will just help treat it. That's right. It maybe, maybe, you know, we don't know. And the other thing is that we have no idea, you know, we know so little about this virus. I mean, there are some virologists <laughs> that are saying there's over, you know, 500,000 to a million people in America that already had COVID. And it's like, you got the common cold, you got a little sniffle, that's how you got COVID. It wasn't virulent for you. And so that's the scary part. Let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, all these kids running around, the fearless, you know, kids in college who say, you know, I can do whatever I want, nothing's going to affect me. And for this virus, they may be right. They're probably not getting sick. But what, as, as you know with this virus, I'm hoping you know, is that you're, you're typically contagious well before you're symptomatic, which means that you're spewing virus when you're talking yeah. to people and you have no fever or a sniffly nose. Well, it's tough to, 
the the whole spring break thing is it's so it's stupid but i understand it i get what these kids are i get what they were thinking like i was in school two years ago they're like hey this is my last year of college i've always wanted to go on spring break there's already five there's already fifty thousand people going down to panama city beach what's difference is going to make if i go down that's the i understand it's not right but that's the rationale a lot of them are thinking no and i get it that's your audience so we'll respect that but i can also say that you know it's fucking stupid pardon my french i think that you know you may not get it but you're going to go home and you're going to go and have dinner with grandma and your uncle uncle lou and then they're going to get not it. uncle lou yeah uncle oh. lou goes down man so the, the best is, christmas presents man so that's what i was trying to get at i mean younger people you know in China, they survived well. There were not a lot of deaths of the younger kids in that age group, but they make virus and they can be spreading it around. So who knows? I mean, so there's we don't. So there, there's varying statistics on how it affects um, people in my demographic too. A lot of people are saying, like in New York, they said 55% of cases were people between 22 and 40. Yeah. But I also know, wonder if they skew the statistic. They say 22 to 40, and it's mostly people that are 35 to 40. Or, or like you got to test every single person in new york city to truly know who's infected and who's not so i mean that's the problem with this but we don't have the testing to do that right now so now we're only testing people that you know are symptomatic who we could change or alter the course of the disease we want to make sure that people are positive or not around other people uh it, you know you do the best again you're doing the best you can but ideally this new test that's coming out which they say is going to be available next week you know they can the fda approved it so you can know within an hour whether or not you're positive. I don't know how many they can make or how fast they can get them out, but that would be pretty cool. I'm going to call Sarah Slugs real quick because she has a question for you. Look at this. I feel like uh, Howard Stern. There you go. <laughs> Stay in my lane. With the calling feature, man. <laughs> what? Well, by the way, do you like my wife's shoes? The closet? <laughs> Slugs. Slugs, you're live on the Zoom podcast with Dr. Scott Sigmund. And one thing I didn't preface is some of these like really intelligent questions I've been asking. Slugs helped me type them up. So shouts out to Slugs. <laughs> Slug. Thank you. <laughs> Slugs, here, let me uh you actually won't be able to hear Dr. S unless I let me see if I turn this all the way up. Talk real quick. You can you hear me? Slugs. Slugs, yeah, slugs. Yeah. Okay. All right, Slugs, I ask you a question, big dog. Um, so what have, what have you guys been talking about so far? Just ask it and I'll let you know if we already went over it. Um, I was wondering about for people who have really bad lung damage from this illness or prior, um, what would you recommend in a, we, we, we a did scenario that. We like did that this? one. Did you cover that? Yeah, we, we got that one done. Ask oh, darn. Um, have you talked about... <laughs> things that are happening like what his day-to-day is like um like what does he anticipate the workload to be in the next few weeks a a little bit so i think just to clarify dr s if if the virus was to get pretty bad and then other hospitals were to say kind of like you were talking about people coming out of retirement um what hospital would you go to is that a good question slugs yeah, so so I have my privileges at Lowell General Hospital. I would certainly just hunker down and stay with my, my medical staff locally. Obviously, I think that you know one of the things that we were talking about is that we have to really monitor closely where these true hotspots are. And and 
So we may want to be moving in doctors and nurses, especially what's happening now is that many of the doctors and nurses on the front lines are testing positive for COVID. They then have to drop out, right? They, hopefully they're not you know, crazy sick, but they have to drop out of the workforce because you don't want them to then run around becoming infected. I heard something about 10 at the BI and another nine doctors at Tufts Medical Center as well. Um, so that's a, you know, that's a major concern. So I think people right now, what we're doing is we're staying open. Uh, we're seeing, you know, patients, uh, on a daily basis, uh, and seeing mostly the urgent, uh, patients that need to be seen to keep them out of the ER. Now, here's a quick question for you. Um, what if Matt, let's say Mass General got wildly overrun and they were like, hey, we need you to leave Lowell, even though you have some sort of allegiance to that hospital. Can you, would they be allowed to just say, hey, we want to pick you up and treat patients over here? Is there this weird thing between like Blue Cross, Blue Shield, health insurance, all that stuff? Well, normally what you do, you need to have privileges at the hospital in which you work. And it's a big deal, right? They don't want like, hey, my name's Connor. And like, I went to medical school down in Grenada. And like, here's my references. And can I start working tomorrow, you know? Can so you fix that the, shoulder up, baby boy. Yeah, you're good now. And uh, so, so the bottom line is it's a very stringent, real difficult policy to be able to get uh, of the ability to practice or become um, on the medical staff of a hospital. But those everything's sort of falling away, you know, like even HIPAA right now has been temporarily suspended so that we can uh, telecommunicate because most of the teleconferencing things, even Zoom, for example, are not HIPAA compliant. You have to have everything super encrypted, but they made that go away. So the answer is, yeah. I mean, if it turns out that, you know, Mass General is looking for docs, I have no problem that Governor Baker and Secretary Sutter would say, you do not, you can have temporary privileges at this hospital to be able to care for patients. But again, I think when it took, by the time it gets to it, it's going to be really, really bad if they're act, asking Scott Sigmund to come down and treat patients with, uh, with COVID-19 in Mass General. Slugs, any more questions? Yeah, so since you're an orthopedic surgeon, what is your, what's like the role that you've taken on now? Like, are you in surgeries in other hospitals or are you on the, like, treating, have you covered this? Yeah, yeah. But it's okay. You can answer it again, Dr. S. Yeah. No, it's good. Yeah, just keep keep emphasizing the same stuff. So we're still operating on patients out of Lowell General Hospital, but it's only emergency things. So people get, you know, they break their leg and the bone sticking out of their skin, or if you have a hip fracture um, and things like that, those are still emergency cases and we're still operating on those patients. What we're not doing is the elective surgeries like knee scopes and labor repairs for the shoulder, or ACL reconstructive surgeries. All of those are really considered elective surgeries. Our main role in what we're doing right now as orthopedic surgeons is to try and triage and maintain as many patients outside of the hospital as we can that have orthopedic problems. So we want to keep our office open so that we can funnel those patients away from urgent cares and from the hospital where uh, patients are sick and there's, there, those patients might get sick, but then also that the resources are, are really being utilized more for COVID more than you know, aches and pains or muscle injuries or ankle and knee sprains, which can all be treated in the doctor's office. So that's our main role for right now, as well as caring for the emergency patients. Slugs, essentially, Dr. Sigmund and his practice are like a safe haven for patients that might possibly be getting sent from one hospital to another that need to get surgery done, right? That makes sense. All right, Slugs, I'll call you after we're done. We're just going to wrap up. Do you guys know what COVID-19 is? Does that, do you know what that means? I have no clue what COVID-19 means.
cool, let's do that. Because we're going to do two things. We're going to educate the world here for a little bit. All right. So, Slugs, good to talk to you. Thanks. Peace. All right. So, so COVID-19 is the name of the disease. So it's coronavirus disease 2019. So when you say that's way more boring than just COVID-19. Yeah. Well, the point is, is that everybody thinks that COVID-19 is the, vi the virus is SARS CoV-2, mm -hmm. which is no, this is <laughs> your <laughs> classic. It's severe acute respiratory disease, coronavirus two. So that's the name of the virus. So it's just a stupid little thing. It's important. People know what they're talking about. Well, I'll tell you one thing about this virus. You want to hear it? Sure. I don't want to get it. Yeah. Well, actually, I, I, more than likely, I probably will. I hope you already have. I be, I'm being very blunt about You're that. Such a dick, man. No, no. Listen <laughs> to me. I'm hoping you've got you've had it, and it was a minor cold. If anything, a sniffle, and now you're immune to it going forwards. There's one. There was another really cool study that I heard about which was promising and it's really in its infancy. They looked at rhesus monkeys and they infected the rhesus monkeys with COVID-19. They all got sick. They all proved that the monkeys got sick and then they actually got better. And then what they did was they reinfected the, the rhesus monkeys with, uh, with the virus again and they didn't get sick. So again, it's a very small study. These viruses mutate. They do change all the time. Sometimes they change to become less virulent. They become just the common cold going forwards instead of becoming the super, super bad virus that we currently have. I feel like it, we're at a point where it's everything's starting that medical professionals are trying to pull every possible study that's even relevant to this thing though, just cause it's so new. Yeah. Well, what else do we have to do? Dude, get on zoom, play video games. <laughs> yeah, no, we're, uh, Look, we're all anxious, right? We're, we're all out of balance. Nobody's doing the routine in which they're usually they're doing. And if you turn on the you news. You in that Peloton bike? Hell yeah, man. Of course. The problem ahead. is there's nobody in the studio. There's <laughs> 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 nobody in the studio. So it's just you and the instructor. But it's still it's good enough for me. Go Peloton. But you can do, it's like virtual classes though, right? That's how Peloton yeah. works. Yeah. No, well, no, there can be on demand. You can take them live. But, but what they've well, what done I'm saying is, is like you could be taking a class and then another orthopedic surgeon with a fro could be also taking one and you guys could be in the same class communicating, correct? Well, yeah, you can. You can race against each other. There's a leaderboard so you know where you're standing against everybody else that's racing at the same time. You can high five each other, which is the communication. You can't really talk to each other while you're racing. Oh, okay. You can't be like, hurry up. No, like slow. That slob. <laughs> uh, no, you can't do that, but you can high five. And then, uh, but you know, you look, what, what else are we going to do? That's the whole point. So you try to be focused. You try and do what little you can. You try to listen, you try to absorb, you try to, you know, get rid of the misinformation. The misinformation is just coming so fast at this point as to what's going on there. Everybody was a hundred percent certain that we were going to be shelter in place tonight uh, by both federal government and Governor Baker. That was the rumor circulating madly for the last three days, and looks like that's not going to happen. You don't think masks so, will shut down? Well, I mean, who knows? I mean, like I said, I mean, no matter what, Trump says one thing, and then 48 hours later, it's something different. So, you know, I think New York is bad. Let's be very blunt about that. It's, it's, our, it's our hot spot right now in our country and in the world. So, 
you have to see how i mean i think any densely populated area is gonna get hit with this tiktok i'm i'm surprised and knock on wood i mean massachusetts is one of the first states to have it because of the conference and it just it's grown but it hasn't been like crazy right and that's the thing i mean i think you know i i say it and again i'm going to stay within my stay in my lane but this this virus may be the goldilocks virus you know doesn't like it too hot or too cold. Do you guys remember that story? Probably not, but the porridge and the whole not, thing. Not a big reader. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, like in New York, it may be the local environment's perfect to allow this, the particles to spread, you know? So the way the virus spreads is that when you sneeze or cough, it actually goes on to the, to the, to the liquids that come out. You know, we've got mucus and stuff like that. So it holds, so it travels with that mucus. And then it can land on a hard surface and the hard surface can live there and survive there for, for time periods. And then you go by and you touch it and then you get it. Unlike things like TB or, or I think it was polio, where the virus particles themselves can sort of stay and be dispersed sort of within the air, which makes it even more, more contagious. So it's, I think that the local environment in which that virus is really is super important for community spread. And then I think what's happening, people from those areas, you know, you live in New York, like you heard about the guy on the JetBlue flight from New York that was going down to, to West Palm. Did you hear that yeah, story? I've heard so many stories. Of yeah, it. I know. Anyway, he gets on the plane. He, he knows he's sick, right? And then he gets an email on the freaking flight to tell him that he's positive for COVID-19. Oof. So everybody on the flight gets quarantined, gets shut down. And this guy knew he took the test, but he still wanted to travel. And he, put, he was selfish in the way in which he behaved and then put everybody else at risk. The point being is that, you know, there's a spike in Hong Kong right now where the, the, the number of real cases had reduced in, in China too, but there's been a spike up because the people that were traveling abroad are now coming home. So the travel spread is one thing. The thing that's potentially devastating is the community spread. Once you get somebody in the community, if it's just right for the virus to, to spread, then everybody within the community gets sick. And so, you know, at this point, we're waiting to see the, how the community spread is really affected in, in various areas. Dr. S, you're a great guy. No, I appreciate you, brother. Thanks for asking. Hey, I, I would be, and hopefully things don't get totally out of hand, but if fitting, maybe in like three, four weeks, we could run another one. Yeah, love it. Based on what's going on, you, you could be the, the chief Golden Deer Productions medical expert. That's it. You're like the Sanjay Gupta for, uh, for <laughs> GDP. <laughs> oh, you are a hoot. All I've right. been seeing the same like TV personalities for like uh, 10 straight days. Well, Jennifer Ashton, who's the, who's the, the chief medical officer for ABC News, uh, I think she's in Boston, if I'm not mistaken, but she's in, she's an OBGYN. I mean, it's like, so what happens for a lot of these medical you know, TV personalities is they're good at what they do in front of the camera. And it may not be that she's an infectious disease specialist, but you know, because she has a great presence, she's been amazing. I mean, that woman has literally been nonstop. What's she's most been, important. They can just deliver transparent information to people. Yeah. That's what they're doing. That's exactly right. Exactly. Maybe in like 15 years, you'll be the next Fauci, man. No, that's okay. Our I, savior. <laughs> not, not quite, but I do appreciate that, man. He's been awesome. He really has. Hi, this is Dr. Scott Sigmund. That was my Platinum Hour. <laughs>